friends, and welcome to Conversations with Consequences. We are the ladies of the Catholic Association, bringing you witty and charming in-depth conversation on the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers and movers of our time. You can listen to Conversations with Consequences on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network at 5 p.m. on Saturdays. And of course, our radio show is always a podcast. Go to the catholicassociation.org slash podcasts. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and I'm joined by my colleague at the Catholic Association, our legal advisor, Andrea picciotti Bear. Gracie, it is so great to join you. I am constantly amazed at the quality of people that we're able to have as guests, and this week is no different. Melissa Overmeyer, she's a Catholic evangelist and has a fabulous vlog, and she's going to talk to us about turning our worries into prayer. And Fiker, Father Michael Gately is going to walk us through the tenderness of divine mercy and get us ready for Divine Mercy Sunday. But before that, we have our TCA colleague and legislative policy guru, Maureen Ferguson with us. She knows all about the Trump administration's Small Business Administration initiative and how it can help our parishes and religious nonprofits get through this terrible dry time of the pandemic that we're experiencing. Welcome back to the show, Maureen. Thanks, ladies. I'm so glad to be joining you today. Maureen, many parishes are hanging on by a string, and of course they run so many valuable ministries, for instance, the crisis pregnancy centers that I work with, and all the time, parishes and ministries are barely holding their heads above water on regular days at the best of times. So what is the federal government doing for us? Well, you know, there's so much bad news nowadays, of course, with the coronavirus and the pandemic and all the hardship that it's causing. So it's great to be chatting about some good news, one of the silver linings amidst these dark clouds. So Congress passed the multi-trillion dollar CARES Act. And this provides trillions of dollars in small business administration loans, forgivable loans, so that small employers can keep their employees on the payroll so that people aren't getting let go in these very tough economic times. So it's trillions of dollars in forgivable loans. So if these small businesses follow the rules, they can have the loan forgiven. So in essence, it's a grant. So the great news here is that the Trump administration has made it very clear that this is not just for for for-profit businesses, small businesses. It also is for the nonprofit sector, and that includes religious nonprofits. So we have Catholic schools, charities, churches. All of these nonprofits have people on the payroll. And the purpose of the CARES Act is to help small businesses and nonprofits keep people on the payroll payroll in these very tough economic times. Well, Maureen, uh, I think that this is just yet another example of how the federal government is giving great leadership and treating all groups in America equally and and consistent with our First Amendment free exercise rights, consistent with the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. This is yet another great example of how religious organizations and people are going to be treated with the dignity of, of any American citizen. That's right. The administration has made it clear that this is a level playing field, that for-profit and non-profit businesses as well as faith-based entities can apply for these forgivable loans because, of course, they're under the same economic pressure now um, to lay off staff. So it's great news because this is a time when the services of faith-based providers are especially needed in these tough economic times. It's interesting how the administration is able to look out for small businesses, which I think is wonderful to acknowledge the way that that private enterprise is needed by the whole country, you know, how how, empl- how, diff- how important employment is to all of us and how wonderful it is that they are taking that step to ensure that our very needed religious-based organizations also can keep their doors open. That's right, and I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I'm on the board of a Catholic school, and the school, all of a sudden, like everybody else, is under tremendous economic pressure, and they're keeping all of their bus drivers on the payroll, for example, because of the application they've put in for one of these small business administration forgivable loans. So that's a perfect example that there are bus drivers that are keeping their jobs now because 
because faith-based organizations are allowed to apply for these forgivable loans. Well, you're very right, Maureen. That is a golden lining in a very in a very tough time for America. And thanks for your time, Maureen. We hope to have you back uh, with us very soon. I love thanks, joining Maureen. you, ladies. Bye-bye. Joining us now is the dynamic Catholic evangelist, Melissa Overmeyer. Welcome to Conversations with Consequences, Melissa. Thank you so much. It's delightful to be here. We wanted to have you on because you seem to have a very a very wonderful way to approach something that we're all doing right now, which is suffering. The fact is that all of us are suffering and none of us are untouched by this great catastrophe, this global catastrophe that we're all, that we're all living through. If we're not ill ourselves or we love someone who's ill, then we're also experiencing terrible anxiety because we're looking into an uncertain future where bad things are coming our way and we, we want to be prepared for it. So we're we're suffering a little and, and we wanted to talk to you about that because we think you have insight oh well <laughs> um if i have insight it's only by god's grace and because i'm co- sort of a born worrier and i've felt like i've suffered through my life and so the lord has given me some i believe tender mercies in learning how to deal with it um melissa it, you have an upcoming book which yes, we're, all, we're all looking forward to click, click, click and receiving uh, as soon as possible. And, and if, if I'm not wrong, it says, um, turning your cares into prayer. If you That's know right. how to worry, you know how to pray. That's uh, exactly right. What a fantastic title, <laughs> especially for now. I really am uh, inspired by it. Can you let us know a little bit about what inspired you to write this book? Absolutely. Well, First of all, because, like I said, I'm a natural-born worrier, and so it has, uh, with a coronavirus coming on, I found myself going down that path, and not only myself, because I have this ministry online, I have gotten an unprecedented amount of uh, prayer requests, Mm. and people asking me to please pray for them, people that I would never have imagined, you know, friends that I didn't, you know, they say there's no atheist in a foxhole, people that I wouldn't even have suspected that were wanting prayer. I feel like everybody needs prayer, but not everybody will be so brave to ask for it, have really reached out. And so I felt like I just walking down the street, seeing the panic in people's eyes. And it's something that if you know how to worry, you know how to pray. And it's a matter of reframing that worry into voicing it to God and then leaving it there. And so this book, its I call it a quick book because my big book I'm working on is taking me years to finish. And okay. I felt like the Lord just asked me to do this because one of the video vlogs that I did was uh, th- this very thing, casting your cares onto the Lord. If you know how to worry, you know how to pray. And it got so many views. And I just thought, well, I really want to go in deeper. This is something that I felt like needed to be more of a manual or a handbook, a real tool in people's hands to be able to combat fear. And so, of course, it's the Word of God that is our proactive weapon that we have. You know, shield of faith, everything else is an armor. But the one thing that we have that's a proactive weapon is the Word of God. And so, this little book is just an arsenal, I call it, of scriptures to help to be able to alleviate those fears for you to be able to stand firm because you're standing on solid ground. And what we have to do is we have to renew our minds. Christ said, if we know the truth, it'll set us free. But first we have to learn the truth. And it took, I started reading the Bible when I was 12 years old. And, but it took years for different mentors to show me, well, what is the truth? And then how do you walk that out in your life? It's one thing to read it and think about it in your head, but it's another thing to apply it to your mouth and to your hands and to your feet and for it to actually be this living, active word sharper than a two-edged sword in your own soul and then help you to reorient your life towards what is truth. In this book, I call it the high five of Christian living because it's five points 
points that help us to turn our our cares into prayers, our worries and anxieties over to the Lord. And do you want me to tell you what they are? Yes. <laughs> okay. First and foremost, um, it's Romans 12, 1, 1, and it says, he says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. So the first thing we have to do is offer ourselves to the Lord and knowing that we then are in capable hands, because if we try to do this on our own without the grace of God, we will fail because we can only, no matter how strong we are, our human strength and capacity will only take us so far. But the Holy Spirit then is like a balloon, like the, the air, the ruach, the breath of God comes into our balloon and it just expands it and it expands our capacity to be able to do all things. And so the first thing we do is we offer ourselves so that then we can be filled with the Spirit. Melissa, do you yes. think that, um, especially, you know, most of our listeners are Catholic, do you think that Catholics have forgotten what really our daily offering is? Is this something that we need to renew? I, this is a great opportunity to do this? Yes, I so believe that. And there's so many beautiful prayers of offering. And, you know, in my own personal life, I felt like I could only offer God the good parts of me, like the parts I was proud of or the parts I succeeded in. And what's so absolutely mind-boggling about God and grace is He takes every bit of us, our good, our bad, our ugly, our failures even, the things we are ashamed of. And if we give them to Him, He somehow in divine providence works it together for good yes. uh, on that on that note I worked for, I've, I've worked for some time with a, a Project Rachel which is the ministry yes. for post-abortive women who yes. are who really who suffer so much they carry a terrible burden of guilt and, and it's a kind of guilt that separates them from the love of God because they can't feel that love anymore right and it, I learned a lot about 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 guilt and about failure because these women uh, many of them they feel they failed that they the moment came for when they were supposed to be heroic and they weren't able to be heroic they were they weren't able to make that step that they that they know now that they should have made i think that that's a really important point to remember I felt this when I was working with them that God takes our failures and he, and he can turn them into sex, spiritual successes even if it takes many years to come to that point and to that I also would like to add that in the Project Rachel the work with, with these women and sometimes men that we rely very much on scripture on the word of God you know those very specific pronouncements that he made over and over again about the overabundance of his mercy and how his mercy is enough to cover all these all these uh, the, these things that are our failures. Yes. One of the things that I feel that has been a blessing in the coronavirus is being able to listen to all these amazing masses from all over the world at different times at different places. And you can just click on and I, Father Mike Schmidt's uh, masses have been especially, I think, just spirit filled and beautiful. And one of the things he was talking about is taking you even the most thing that you are most ashamed of and being able to your regret even and offering that to be used with Christ's suffering on the cross because you are suffering under that and just say, Lord, yes, I failed in this moment, but I want to even offer you this to somehow use this this suffering that I am enduring because of my own sinfulness, my own failure to be used by you. And so no suffering is wasted suffering. And as we know, the only tragic suffering, the only is wasted suffering. And so we can take every, every single bit and then the Lord can somehow in a beautiful, mysterious way, use it to his purposes and for, for the redemption of the world. And then in our own lives, somehow he comes in and he remakes and he redoes. And that's what Easter is all about, right? The, mm -hmm. he, re, he remakes something that we thought would be impossible 
he makes possible. So mm-hmm. I, I invite you to do a morning offering of your entire self. You're good, you're bad, and you're ugly. Melissa, I'm known as a taskmaster in my house, mainly because yes. I've got 10 kids. And, oh, and also my. My, my legal training tells me you have to keep moving, moving, moving. And I don't want this conversation to end without us getting to your five points. We have our first point, which is to really offer our lives to God. What's what's the second now, point? That okay. Yes. Then we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And what we have to do that, that's Romans 12 to, and he says, do not be conformed, do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. So it's learning to replace the lies of the enemy with truth and ignorance with understanding. And so we, how we do that is we have to learn who we are and who God is. And if we know that we are a beloved child of God, holy and forgiven, and that God is the God of mercy and the powerful one, then if we can just get that in our life, get that in our head, and then when the lie, when the lies come from the enemy, we can combat that. And I give you an arsenal of scriptures to be able to combat those. The third point is then once we've got, we've offered ourselves, we know who God is, we know who we are, then we cast these worries, these cares onto the Lord. And how I do it is I literally put my hand out, I name them, I place them in my hand, and then I literally brush them off and cast them onto the, the Lord. Because First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your worries upon him because he cares for you. And so I know that the Lord w- is able, because he is the mighty warrior God, to, to take these cares uh, and do with them as he will. And so it's not my job to worry, it's my job to offer. And then the fourth then, uh, we learn in Philippians 4, 4 through 7, is rejoice in the Lord always. I shall say it again, rejoice. Your kindness should be known to all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to the Lord. Then the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts. And so it's, it's again, a, a walking it out. And every time this care comes back is just passing it back to the Lord and walking it out and having no anxiety by prayer and petition and here's the kicker is the thanksgiving Melissa let me remind our listeners that if they're just tuning in they're listening to conversations with consequences on EWTN radio I'm your hostess Dr. Gracie Christie with my colleague at the Catholic Association Andrea Picciotti-Bayer and we're speaking with Melissa Overmeyer dynamic Catholic speaker author and scripture study teacher and she is on uh, I think you're going to tell us number five of your steps to how how to cast away our cares that's right to cast our cares well and we have to know who we're casting them on to because then we stand on firm foundation if we know that we have a, a, a not only a loving father but a capable father and so we cast our cares onto him and then we walk it out and i love this i think that this is very much uh, sort of a secret (laughs) teaching within the church, which is that the Lord really tells us if we want to be in peace, the peace of God, He gives us sort of parameters of where our hearts and minds are to dwell. And I never really thought about it, but He does say to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And I thought I was at the whim of whatever just sort of floated into my head. But the truth is, as Christians, we have the mind of Christ, and we are to take guard on it. And then Paul writes in Philippians 4, 8, 9, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard from me. And here it is. Then the peace of God will be with you. And so he gives us this parameter, sort of this um, this lovely fence around our, our, our mind if we want to remain in peace. And so it can't just be true because there's a lot of things that are true that don't sort of pass the smell test of these other areas. And therefore, we need to dwell then on what is true and what is good and holy and pure. And that to me is glancing back again and again and again at our Savior because we become what we 
adore. We become like what we glance at. And with, you know, he writes again with unveiled faces, we are being transformed into that which we gaze upon. And so it's, it's casting our cares. It's, it's, it's giving ourselves to the Lord. It's then transforming our mind with the truth. It's casting our cares. It's rejoicing and being thankful continually through the day, casting them again and again, and then allowing our mind to dwell on what is good. And to me, that is what keeps me at a still pond. <laughs> Otherwise, my the waves, I can walk on the water if I do these things. If I get my eyes on the waves and on the cares of this world, I tend to sink. But if I keep my eyes on Christ, and this is how I do it, then this peace of God um, really, really becomes this this palpable peace in my life. Melissa, it seems to me that, that this coronavirus pandemic that, again, we're all suffering through in one way or another, many, some of us more than others, but all of us suffering, that this is focusing our thoughts on how much we need God. Myself last night, I was very sad last night because my father had a minor heart attack a couple weeks ago and he's not recovering like we hoped. He's very weak. And this, uh, the, all the, the shutdown and the quarantining adds a layer of difficulty for our family um, that's making us all very sad. And, and in that sadness last night, I found myself praying like I hadn't prayed in, in some time. Like really really reaching out to God and saying, um, I want to be your little girl <laughs> and, I, yes. and I need you to take yes. care of me and and I want to rely on you. And I, I really felt, I was thinking long and hard about this and I was thinking how much, how God gives us these opportunities to to turn back to Him and, and nestle into His arms because yeah. these opportunities are brought to us through this very suffering that, that, we, that we hate, right? That we spurn. That's right. And I feel like as much as as we as humans hate to be in a way chastised um, it says he he chastises those he loves he he puts us in a place in a merciful way where we have no other recourse but to go to him and so what a what a beautiful mercy that is that the Lord would draw us to Himself, that He would strip us. I love the Stations of the Cross as uh, being a convert to Catholicism. That's something I never had growing up, and. If you read my book, Metamorphosis of a Soul, you can see that the Lord did a really a crazy, beautiful thing with those uh, stations. But station number 10, the stripping of Christ, is really my station because I feel like until we are stripped of pretty much everything, we cannot truly identify with Christ. And what a merciful time this has been to strip us of so many things mm -hmm. so that we can be completely united. If we take it as that, we can kick against the goads and we can rail against it or we can embrace it and we can learn from it and we can flourish in it. Melissa, we... Um we're running out of time, which is always heartbreaking. I think we, we need to have like a three-hour conversation <laughs> with you. Um, but you touch upon something beautiful, and that's your own personal conversion. And and as I was listening, I've been watching your vlog, which I find fascinating. You're just incredibly beautiful, and it's a nice little capsule of especially the Psalms, which is something that I'm not um, incredibly familiar with, and you've helped me a lot on that. How does the plenitude of truth that the church gives, the Catholic Church give, uh, something that you think will help bring all of these people who are suffering, all of these people either suffering directly or through fear, anxiety, through the suffering of the people that we love, how does the plenitude of truth that we find in the church itself bring us to that kind of interior peace that we are all yearning for and that union with God? Well, praises be to God, we are an Easter people, right? That, um, <laughs> that you know, that we the tomb is empty. And so it's a dark tomb, but it's an empty tomb. And so no matter what the darkness that we are going through, 
the beautiful thing of our church is every day it's Easter. Every day is hope. Every day, because we serve a risen God. We do not serve... We do not serve a good theology. If Christ did not ra- be raised from the dead, then our religion, our our faith is dead because we serve a, a, a living God. And not only that, we serve an ascended God who then came down into the, the form of the Holy Spirit to fill us, to enable us to live out this truth. And so, what the church offers us is is the beauty and the grace and the goodness of life and eternal life. And it begins here and now. We do not have to wait. We can have it right here, right now, as we live and breathe, as as Paul says, as we move, because we have the Spirit of God here with us. And He He will take us to where we need to be in a moment-by-moment basis. And so, we need not fear. We need not worry. We cling tightly to what our church has given us and we say glory hallelujah we serve a risen savior and that is what the church stands for and that's what the church gives us that's perfect melissa we have to stop right there because nothing could be better than what you just said (laughs) tell melissa tell our listeners where they can uh, listen to your vlog or watch your vlog i should say yes yes well uh you can find it on my facebook page which is melissa overmeyer or you can go to melissaovermeyer.com and you can see every vlog is loaded on YouTube and you can also find it on IGTV under Melissa Overmeyer and it's uh, right now we're doing the 150 day Psalm challenge so we are on Psalm 104 today you can go back and hear 104 uh, <laughs> vlogs on it but what I do is I take a Psalm and then from there I take a teaching and then we always end with a time of prayerful meditation so it's an interactive three to five minutes most days today it was 10 but uh, most days it's three to five minutes and it has been I believe hugely helpful based on the uh, feedback that we've gotten well we highly I highly recommend it to all our listeners it is very beautiful and you're doing a wonderful apostolate Melissa thank you for joining us on conversations with consequences thank you may God richly bless all that you do and thank you so much for having me on here coming up next after the break we'll be talking with Father Michael Gately all about divine mercy stay tuned to conversations with consequences right here on EWTN Radio. to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, joined by my colleague at the Catholic Association, Andrea Picciotti-Bayer. Earlier in the show, we were speaking with Melissa Overmeyer, Catholic evangelist and vlogger, who shared her special way of turning our worries into prayer. Now we are pleased to welcome Father Michael Gately. He's the best-selling author of the 33 Days Spirituality Series. Welcome, Father. Thank you. It's good to be with you guys. We are in Easter week still, and I'm still rocking from the laser focus on God's mercy that to me is the heart of our Lord's passion and death. And I feel very strongly that the church wants us to concentrate on God's astounding mercy as we prepare for Divine Mercy Sunday, which is coming up. Father, um, in a lot of your works, you reference St. John Paul II, uh, who said, now is the time of mercy. Help us and our listeners understand how especially important his words are for the world and the church today. Part, part of the prophetic witness of John Paul II was that he really helped direct the church's attention to the, the beautiful mystery of the Lord's mercy. Um, which, as you rightly pointed, uh, rightly pointed out, is, is manifested on the cross and also the resurrection of Jesus. But for John Paul II, his, his great insight as Pope um, in directing the Church to mercy, he saw that um, he applied a particular scripture passage uh, to our situation, that is, the situation in the modern world. And that scripture passage is Romans 5, verse 20, where it says, Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. In other words, in the time of great evil, God wants to give even greater grace. And I think that's at the core of his prophetic witness, that this is a time of mercy. And it's the idea that God's love is not outdone by evil. And in a time of great evil, God will give even greater grace, greater mercy uh, to help us through difficult times. So what I would say is, 
Well, whereas John Paul saw that the uh, St. John Paul II saw that the modern world is very much in need of mercy. I would say our present circumstances with the coronavirus pandemic and uh, the uncertain economic futures um, really uh, it really makes appropriate that announcement of John Paul II that when we're maybe more frightened and scared uh, and tempted to uh, discouragement, the Pope's words that this is a time of mercy can be a great comfort, I think, for all of us, because what it's saying is, if it looks like it's dark, if it looks like it's difficult, God is going to be there with even greater grace and greater mercy to bring an even greater good out of a difficult situation. Father, what, what I've been hearing from a lot of people, and frankly, in my own personal situation, it's hard to be cooped up mm-hmm. with family on a 24-7 basis, with never a change, um, as much as we love our families. We're not used to being so close together all the time. And and because we have all these added worries, worries for our health, worries for the health of our loved ones, um, many of us are struggling with, with grievous things um, already and also looking forward to uh, terrible uh, economic problems that are, that are facing, I would say, most of us. Mm-hmm. We also need God's mercy, it seems to me, to help us to help us forgive ourselves for these maybe these constant sins we keep committing in our in our anxiety and and in this difficulty with living with each other so closely that's a great point i mean there's really the whole paschal mystery right but uh, in family life <laughs> there's the crucifixion <laughs> and there's also the resurrection right like as a lot of what i've been hearing from some friends and family is that as people are closer together sometimes it's more difficult uh and it's also sometimes in some ways more beautiful like people mm-hmm. are realizing more of the preciousness of each uh, person in their lives that they're cooped up with. Um, but at the same time, there's, there's challenges as you, as you, as you point out. And one of the difficult things is like, it's, it's, it's been hard for a lot of people to get to confession because sometimes uh, in some places, confessions aren't really even available. And um, so what do you do when, you know, you're being more impatient when uh, the stress is building and that's usually where people fall into different sins. Maybe they go in the refrigerator or to the liquor cabinet or to the internet. Mm. And then the devil gets in there really quickly and smashes our faces in our sinfulness and tells us how disgusting and despicable we are. You know, where do we go from there? And I think where we as Christians should go is uh, into the arms of Jesus, into the sacred heart of Jesus, like uh, in the sense of what we see in the image of divine mercy, where his heart is opened to receive us in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, to give us his merciful love, to give us his forgiveness. You know, one thing a lot of times people don't realize is that when we uh, commit a sin, even a grave sin, that um, as it says in the Diary of Faustina, heartfelt contrition immediately cleanses the soul. That you can actually be forgiven a mortal sin if you make a perfect act of contrition with the condition that when you can get to confession, as soon as reasonably possible, you go to confession. But the idea is it's important to remember that as we are in a time of more stress and difficulty and maybe we're falling into certain sins, to turn to the Lord for his mercy and to go to confession when we can, you know, when uh, when it's available again, but to you not know, despair of the Lord's mercy. Father, um, I have this problem as a lawyer that I always see things often through the lenses of a lawyer. And, uh-huh. and when I first started contemplating divine mercy a number of years ago, I thought about it as clemency. And in reading your your books, which I, I hope we can talk more about, you give a beautiful definition of divine mercy as tenderness. And uh, as a parent, as a mother, I, I really felt called to it. I felt that that was a beautiful way of understanding God's mercy as a loving, tender father, not as a, a harsh judge that's going to kind of give us a little bit of a break. How have people received that message? Um, well, I have to first commend you because I think you've gotten right to the heart of it. I mean, I've written a lot of books <laughs> and what you just said is essentially the heart of it. And what it, what it means is that, and this has been my experience of the Lord's mercy, is that the Lord is more gentle and more tender than we can imagine. Uh, I first experienced that myself. I, was a, I had a very rigid spirituality. It was very fire and brimstone, doom and gloom, a God of justice who was ready to just to give me the smackdown for the slightest infraction. And I was in the seminary, and I was, like I said, very extremely rigid. And I started doing some Ignatian retreats. And if you give the Lord a 30-day Ignatian retreat, he's going to speak to you. And he did to me. He manifested himself in a way that blew me away in terms of his mercy. 
and not just his mercy, but what you just said, his tenderness. And I think what is really behind all of the, my writings and all the books and things like that that people maybe respond to is really that experience. What I try and do is bear witness to that experience of his tenderness. And the way people respond to answer your question is they are so happy. At first they say, this seems too good to be true. But as they delve more deeply into the the data and the facts and the doctrine, and they start to realize this is true, they become overwhelmed with what Pope Francis calls the joy of the gospel. So that's been the response, and it should be the response, because the Lord, in his gentleness and his tenderness and his mercy, although it doesn't always seem like the Lord's being gentle and tender with us, (laughs) he is. And uh, he's a much more beautiful and wonderful and gentle and humble and tender father than I think most people realize. And that's been my testimony. And it's, I see it confirmed uh, day after day. I've had some experience with women who are post-abortive in the Project Rachel. I mentioned this earlier in the show when we were talking to Melissa. And it's it's been my experience that the great barrier that people who have a great sin on their soul, like abortion, the great barrier is that they have a, a, a difficulty believing that God is that tender, that God can mm-hmm. love them despite their sin. And, I'm, and of course, any sin can have that same barrier, that barrier effect between us and God's mercy. Mm-hmm. Do you find that the greater the sin, the, the greater the, the relief when a sinner can fall into God's arms? Yeah, I mean, it, there's, there's a beautiful passage in the diary of St. Faustina where Jesus says, the greater the sinner the greater his right to my mercy. I think uh, people who perceive their sins as worse than others, although I think we're not always the greatest judge of the severity of sin because uh, from our human perspective, we sometimes will look at sins of weakness as worse than sins of like self-righteousness and pride and are worse than sins of the flesh, you know, for instance. But in most people's minds, sins of the flesh are you know, the worst. But in reality, it's the demonic sin of envy. It's the demonic sin of pride mm-hmm. that is the worst. So it's, it's sometimes hard to gauge sins, but the reality is when we recognize our sins, and we're all sinners, and we all have sin, the just man sins seven times a day, Scripture says, when we experience the Lord's tenderness in the midst of our sins, yeah, and the more that we recognize, you know, I say it's not necessarily the, the severity of sin, it's, the more deeply we recognize our sins and the more convicted of sin we become, the more we can experience the tenderness of the Lord's mercy because uh, that's what mercy is. It's God's love when it encounters our poverty, weakness, and brokenness and sin. And so the more we recognize our brokenness, whether it be, you know, like uh, extremely, what seem like maybe extremely serious sins or or minor sins, you know, the, the, the saints were very sensitive to their, what we might call minor sins and their venial sins. But the more we recognize and have a contrite heart, the more we can experience God's mercy. So a key ingredient to experiencing the Lord's tenderness is taking the time to examine our consciences and taking the time to recognize where we don't love God as he loves us. And when we recognize that but turn to him and see him as mercy, it it can lead to um, a real tremendous joy. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Conversations with Consequences on EWTN Radio. We've been speaking with Father Michael Gately, best-selling author of the 33 Days Spirituality Series. Father, right before uh, we were all put in lockdown where I'm Mm -hmm. living, one Mm -hmm. of my uh, treasured friends gave me your third book in the 33 days um it's 33 days to greater glory and hasn't been 33 days but today i actually i actually got to day 33 i've been power, powering through it um and and i have the luxury no, you're supposed of, to say i've been enjoying it I, no i can't like i'm like wait a second i keep wanting to do all the days um but uh, i have the luxury of being able to go at at three o'clock every afternoon uh before the blessed sacrament and adoration and and I was doing my prayer and I hit day 33 and you got me uh, because (laughs) it was, you know what I'm sure, and and you and God got me. And um, it it was, you were explaining in your book uh, the concept of consecrating ourselves to God, separating ourselves from the world. And uh, you said something, uh, you wrote something beautiful. It said, we need to look up. And in that moment, I, you know, looked up physically, but uh, but spiritually to God. And I had this overwhelming sense of being a, a small child in the arms of a loving God. And um, 
and it was it was very comforting after these very difficult days and I'm sure everyone everyone listening now is feeling a dryness a spiritual dryness and not having access to the the public mass or having distance in confession maybe um, six feet distance even is so so hard to not have that closeness that we're accustomed to but it was this reminder that God is so intimately close to us so I wanted to thank you for that and and ask you um, what do we what are the the blessings that can happen when we look up this is the blessing uh, the thing that I'm often reflecting on is how the father you know because that book that you described is real it's really about the father and who we're looking up to is we're looking up to the father just as Jesus in several places in scripture would look up and he would look up to his heavenly father uh, but there's uh, very few places in sacred scripture where we actually hear the father's voice I think there's like four or something like where it's explicitly the father's voice and there's twice where he repeats the same thing and what he repeats is this is my beloved son in one case he says in whom I'm well pleased in another place he says listen to him but he says this is my beloved and because when we were all baptized we were made the children of God we became part of the body of Christ God is our father and what the father is always wanting to say to us is you are my beloved you are my beloved when we're looking up as you were describing we're looking up to hear or to receive the gaze of love of our Father who is saying to us and is looking at us with this love saying, you are my beloved. And what we should be saying as we're looking up to the Father is we should be allowing the spirit of sonship, which we all receive as sons and daughters and the divine son to the power of the Holy Spirit. That what we should allow is to well up in our hearts is the Holy Spirit who gets us to cry out, Abba, Father. That when we look up, we're crying out as children, because we're the children of God, and in some cases, very small children. Mm-hmm. But to say to the Father, to look up to the Father and say, Abba, Father, and to have him look down and take us into his arms and say, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. That, for me, is that dialogue of love that comes through the gaze when we look up. It's the Father looking at us with love, and we as his children looking up, up at him with love. And because he's all, our almighty Father, and we're facing some real challenges, some real difficulties, some real fears, it's helpful to realize that the Father that we look up to is the creator of the universe, and that he holds everything in his hands, and he's numbered every hair on our heads, and that he knows whether we sit or whether we stand. He knows before even a word is on our lips. He knows everything. He's in control of everything, and he just wants us to entrust ourselves into his providential hands and guide us through these times of difficulty uh, with his loving care. This book, Father, is a do-it-yourself month-long retreat, correct? It's a 30, 33 days to greater glory. We can do it one day, at, uh, one, one a day, no, for 33 days. But you also wrote two other That's books correct. in the same vein, did you not? Yeah, I have one, 33 Days to Morning Glory, which is the Marian Consecration. And because Mary brings us to Jesus, the Divine Mercy, the second one is 33 Days to Merciful Love, which is a consecration to Jesus, the Divine Mercy. But then because Jesus brings us home to the Father, the last one is 33 Days to Greater Glory, a total consecration to the Father through Jesus. So those are the three. <laughs> Father, you, in addition to being like an incredibly prolific writer, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how you get it all out, um, <laughs> but you are part of two really impressive orders and groups um, serving the church. Uh, Could you uh, explain a little bit about the Marian Missionaries of Divine Mercy and the Marians of the Immaculate Conception and what your groups are doing to reach people, especially now that we're not able to physically connect? Sure. Well, one thing, so I'm a Marian father of the Immaculate Conception, which is a religious congregation uh, that is uh, in the United States. It's centered out of Stockbridge, Massachusetts, the National Shrine of Divine Mercy. And our congregation is known for promoting the divine mercy message and devotion, really, uh, not only throughout the United States, but throughout the world. As a Marian father of the Immaculate Conception, um, part of our charism is to uh, help lay people become saints. And so I helped found an organization called the Marian Missionaries of Divine Mercy, which is essentially a spirituality that is inspired by the religious community that I belong to, but that is tailor-made for lay people to adopt a Marian and a Divine Mercy type of spirituality 
that they can go more deeply into those books that we mentioned are part of the formation program. But if you go through that, uh, a very concrete formation program, you become a Marian missionary to my mercy. And it's a way of ordering your spiritual life around the great gifts in this time of mercy, which are Mary mercy and uh, the community that we experience in the Trinitarian love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now, Father, that we have some, uh, maybe many of us, like me, have a little more time on our hands than than normal, because we're not working like we used to. Father, you have an online retreat, I think, that you're offering. Yeah, uh, part of the Marian Missionaries Divine Mercy is a group of young men and women out of Stockbridge and Lee, Massachusetts, who serve the poor. And uh, the way I support them is by doing retreats. But because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to cancel most of the retreats this year. So for me to be able to keep paying the bills for the missionaries, what we decided to do is take our whole retreat and put it available online. It's a really powerful retreat. Uh, we also make available uh, a study guide that I just wrote uh, during this time when we're downtime. And so if people wanted to make uh, a five-part retreat, it's the best talks I think I give, and we've never made it available publicly other than just these live retreats. It's the first time we're making them available like uh, online. You can you can learn more at marianmissionaries.org, marianmissionaries.org, and if you decide to do to view the retreat, it, it helps support uh, the group of young men and women who help the poor. Well, you've got me, Father. I'm definitely signing up, and I hope that a lot of our <laughs> listeners will too. And, and Father, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you guys for having me on, and, and I hope that you and your listeners will really be able to find divine mercy, and all of us will find divine mercy in this, in this difficult time, but, but graceful time as well. Amen, Father. You can find more information about the Marian Missionaries of Divine Mercy at marianmissionaries.org and the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception at marian.org. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. Stay tuned now for a very inspiring homily by Father Roger Landry to prepare us for Divine Mercy Sunday. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy for me to be with you at the end of the Easter octave. As we enter into the consequential conversation the risen Lord Jesus wants to have with each of us. It's a dialogue that happened on the night Jesus triumphantly rose from the dead. He walked through the closed doors of the upper room where the apostles were huddling together out of fear. And he said to them, Shalom, peace be with you. He had come from heaven to earth and given his life to give us peace. But it was a special kind of peace, one the world can't give or take away. Not as the world gives peace, do I give it, he told us during the Last Supper. The peace Jesus gives in, is not the mere absence of war or conflict, but harmony with God through the forgiveness of sins. Without this type of peace, no other form can endure, because it's sin that destroys interior peace. The peace of the family, the peace of the home, the peace of friendship, the peace of communities, the peace of nations. So Jesus, wasting absolutely no time to set the next stage of his peace plan in motion, on the night of his resurrection, divinely empowered the apostles as his peacemakers to bring that gift and the joy to which it leads to the ends of the earth. It's important for us to pay close attention to the various steps Jesus took so that we can understand better the divine foundation of the sacrament of his mercy and better explain it to those who claim that they can confess their sins to God alone without a sacrament. Jesus began by saying to the apostles, just as the Father sent me, I send you. We know that the Father had sent Jesus as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Jesus was sending his apostles to continue that saving mission of mercy. Since we know that only God can forgive sins against him, Jesus needed to impart to the apostles the divine power. So he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He gave them God the Holy Spirit so that they might forgive sins in his name. Just as we hear every time the priest pronounced those beautiful words of absolution, God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sin. And then Jesus did something that refers to the essential structure of the sacrament of reconciliation. He said, those whose sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Those whose sins you retain are retained. Since Jesus didn't give the apostles the capacity to read hearts and souls, the only way they and their successors and their priestly collaborators would be able to know which sins to forgive or retain would be if people told them. And that's what happens in the sacrament of confession. It's so fitting that Jesus established the sacrament of his mercy on Easter Sunday evening because he wanted to link the joy of his resurrection to the joy of forgiveness. 
He had pointed to the connection between the two when he gave us the unforgettable parable of the prodigal son. When the lost son returns to the father to give his rehearsed speech of repentance, the father erupts with happiness because he says, my son was dead and has been brought to life again. Every reconciliation is meant to be a resurrection. In every good confession, a son or daughter was dead comes to life again, healed of sins, both mortal and venial, and made fully alive once more in Jesus. That's why it's so fitting, as we conclude the Easter octave, that we celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday. Twenty years ago, St. John Paul II established his feast for the Sunday after Easter, so that all of us could thank God for the gift of his merciful love, that led him to stop at nothing in order to save us from our sins, from the eternal death to which our sins lead. St. John Paul II announced the establishment of this feast during the canonization of St. Faustina Kowalska, the humble Polish sister, to whom in a series of profound mystical experiences during the 1930s, Jesus had revealed the depths of his merciful love for the human race, his desire for all peoples to recognize our need for his mercy, trust in it, come to receive it, and share it with others. We don't have the time to cover the rich aspects of this devotion approved by the Church, but it features five elements— Stopping every day at 3 p.m. when Christ breathed his last on Calvary to implore his mercy and bring him our prayers. Venerating him in the image of divine mercy by which he, risen from the dead, blesses us and asks us to trust in him. Praying the chaplet of divine mercy, offering God the Father, Jesus in the Eucharist, and begging him on account of his son's passion for mercy on the whole world. Praying a novena, starting from Good Friday, through Divine Mercy Sunday, which we bring to Jesus various groups of people in need of his mercy. Finally, Divine Mercy Sunday, when we celebrate the end of the Easter octave and ponder in the gospel Jesus' establishment of the sacrament of his mercy. It's a devotion that can be applied powerfully to different aspects of the coronavirus pandemic we're now confronting. First, with regard to praying for the end of COVID-19, Jesus made an extraordinary promise about the hour of mercy. In that hour, he said, I will deny nothing to the soul that asks me in the name of my passion. Just like New Yorkers stop at 7 p.m. now to cheer on health care workers, Catholics should stop at 3 p.m. to turn to Jesus and account to the merits of his suffering, death, and resurrection, entreat him to free the world of this pandemic and help those who have contracted the virus. Second, concerning those who are dying, Jesus similarly made an extraordinary promise about the chaplet. He asked priests to recommend it to sinners as their last hope of salvation. Even, he says, if there were a sinner most hardened, if you were to recite this chapel only once with an attitude of trust, humility, and sorrow, he would receive grace from my infinite mercy. Many priests have seen conversions at deathbeds during or after praying the chaplet. I've heard several similar stories during the pandemic. Third, regarding health care workers who are courageously and generously caring for those who are sick, and we thank them. We can regularly be asking Jesus in his divine mercy image to pour out his mercy upon them and through them and to help them entrust themselves and their patience to his merciful care. For all three of these intentions, it would be good to make together a perpetual novena divine mercy, similar to the one Jesus asked for, praying that all concerned draw from the fount of Jesus' mercy, strength and refreshment, whatever graces they need in the hardships of life and especially at the hour of death. Normally on Divine Mercy Sunday, we celebrate God's mercy understood principally as forgiveness of sin. But we know that Jesus' mercy was similarly extended in healing the sick, which was a quasi-sacramental corporeal sign of what Jesus wishes to do for souls. This Divine Mercy is an opportunity to implore, both as we give God thanks for his mercy that endures forever and avail ourselves more fully of the meat he has given us to implore it for that double gift. God bless you. Happy Divine Mercy Sunday. Thank you, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, check out his website at catholicpreaching.com, and you can also catch his writings at EWTN's own National Catholic Register. And that brings us to the close of our show, friends. Catch us every Saturday at 5 p.m. on your EWTN local affiliate or on Sirius Channel 130. You can also listen to this show as a podcast at thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts or just go directly to wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. We hope we've brought you some happiness or comfort in this difficult time. As always, you go with our prayers. 